Welcome to the Let's Grab a Cup podcast. My name is Adam Sturgeon. I'm a police sergeant in Southern California. And my goal is to affect change within organizations so that we can have the confidence in the work that we do each day and make a positive impact on the community. I believe that change starts from within, and I know that we can do great things. Each of us has a story, a challenge that we have faced in our lives or in our careers or in the relationships that we've built around us. I would love to sit down and hear your story so that other people can learn and grow in their own lives. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email me at sturgeonwellness at gmail.com. If you have the desire to lead others and affect change within the law enforcement community, then contact me today. I would love to hear your story and sit down and grab a cup with you. So you find me on Instagram at, at let's grab a cup or at AP underscore Sturgeon or at sturgeonwellness.com. All right, have a great day. Hello, everybody. Today I get to sit down with my friend Danielle Quinones. Danielle and I were partners in the academy, and we eventually started working together uh, at a really young time in our careers, and we worked together for about three years. And in that time, we really were just learning and navigating this uh, idea of being police officers. And her career was a little different than mine as far as like how it started and the different avenues she was able to take. But it really comes down to like the different perspectives that we all have and our backgrounds and the way we grew up and what she had to offer. And you could see in her story today really like uh, her emphasis on just digging deep and going, continue to push forward uh, throughout any trials. And as she moved forward, she was able to be successful in her career. And I really appreciate her coming on today. And we just, uh, really good time just grabbing a cup with her today. So enjoy this episode. Take two. Welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast, this is where we talk about leadership, authenticity, resiliency, and we provide a place to hold space for one another. I'm your host, Adam Sturgeon, so why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever suits you at this moment. Let's dive in. All right, well, so welcome to Let's Grab a Cup podcast. Take two. Take two. <laughs> we didn't record the first intro, so now we got it. All right, my name is Adam Sturgeon, and I'm sitting today with my friend, uh, Danielle Quinones. She worked uh, with me. Um, we were partners in the car for a few years, and um, now we both get to be supervisors and sergeants at our department, which is really fun. Uh, Danielle has 16 years on as a police officer, and she spent the last two and a half years as a sergeant working various assignments um, in the field, as well as now working at Department Operations Center with all the COVID stuff going on. Uh, Danielle has done numerous special assignments from – uh, working narcotics and gangs and even vice, um, special detailed. And then most recently before promoting, she was a RTO and an FTO um, in the field, which is really cool being able to train new people. Uh, so thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Adam. I know we could do this again. <laughs> uh, so we, we talked about the fact that we're doing this little studio setup today, so it's a little different. And um, so I want to start off, like we, we started talking about this, is what – Got you into policing and, and your background and like where you grew up and why you decided to become a police officer. So I grew up in La Puente, California, uh, predominantly Hispanic uh, area. I'm obviously blonde hair, blue eyes, but my last name is Quinones. So I actually am Hispanic, but I did stick out like a sore thumb uh, growing up. Anyways, played sports my whole life. It's kind of what's molded me into who I am today. Um, so I never really thought about career. I don't know if, if that was just me, but as a kid, even high school, junior high, I never thought about 
oh, I want to be a doctor or astronaut. I think at one point I wanted to be an archaeologist, but... That's cool. Yeah, I think that was everyone in eighth grade. Find some dinosaurs? Yeah, fossils, you know. Um, so anyways, as I'm growing up, my mom tells me like, hey, what are you going to do after high school? I was like, geez, I never thought about it. So my best friend and I, actually two of my best friends, were like, we're going to join the Coast Guard when we graduate high school. Knew nothing about Coast Guard, nothing about the military. It was just like, you're going to be on the water, you've been in the military, people tell you what to do. Sounds right up my alley. So anyways, uh, I actually ended up getting a full ride athletic scholarship to University of South Carolina. Oh, so yeah. I got to postpone my uh, military career and I got to delay it four more years. Did they go in the military? Who? Like two friends? No. Oh, they didn't go in. No, anymore. not at all. <laughs> okay. The other one actually played softball too and the other one like was like, I was never going to join the military. <laughs> so what if they convinced you to go in and then they just didn't come? I would have gone and I would have been fine. That's funny. Um, but yeah, so it delayed it four years, but technically I still had to tell my coach who called me from South Carolina. She was like, hey, what's your major? And I'm like, major? Like, what does that even mean? Well, what are you going to study for when you graduate college and the career you go into? I'm like, oh, here I am again. So I literally made a list of pros and cons of things that I wanted in a career. It was, I want to wear a uniform. I think it's because, like, I really don't like getting dressed. Just, like, I've been in a uniform my whole life. Come on. Playing sports. So I put uniform. Um, I want to be outside. For I those w- of you who don't know, Danielle's always bougie when she's not, I'm in not, uniform, not in uniform. I'm bougie compared to other police officers, but I'm really not. That's funny. Okay. Um, so it was, I want to be outside. I want to wear a uniform. Uh, I want a career that makes me uh, stay in shape. And then the last one was I want a career in which I do something different every day. So I, I remember it was like some sort of program on the computer. I did it, and it came back with three options. Police officer, post office worker, and PE teacher. And I was really? Like, yeah, and I was like, oh, I could actually do all three of these. I would be fine with it. Interesting. But, I, uh, I don't know why I wouldn't expect – well, why the uniform with, with PE teacher? I'm not sure. Probably because they were like – you know, same thing every day. Same thing, athletic clothes. Yeah, my sister's a PE teacher. She loves it. My best friend, one of my best friends is a PE teacher. And I always say, like, man, I could do that job yeah. too. Yeah, she loves and it. And she always says, like, I could have been a police officer. That's funny. So, yeah. Um, so that, and then I also remember in fifth grade, I had a D.A.R.E. teacher. A D.A.R.E. police officer that would come in maybe every month. She was a canine. Uh, I remember, her, I think her name was, like, Officer Fowler. I'm surprised that I, I remember that. But This is in high school? Fifth grade. Oh, okay. Fifth grade. And everything like, that is cool. But it never crossed my mind. So then when I did that list, I'm like, I'm going to be a police officer. That's what I'm going to do. So I majored in criminal justice, and here I am. So you played softball your entire life? Since five years old. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's got my daughter into it, and she's loving it. Yeah. Yeah. She's I loved it. it from the moment. I remember, I mean, this is kind of stupid, but I would wear my uniform every day. Really? At home. I'd ask my mom if I could wear it to school. And she'd be like, no, like you wore it yesterday. <laughs> I just loved, I loved it. That's funny. Um, so yeah, I remember I would cry when it would rain because I knew I didn't have practice. I'd just hound them every day. Like, can you practice with me outside? Can you throw the ball with me? I'm sure my parents just like so annoyed with me at the time. Well, you think about it, like the whole idea of like, you said you'd be in uniform, but uh, this idea of like discipline, like it takes discipline to practice for something and be good at it, obviously. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like having that discipline, you had it as a at really young age. So at five, I remember I was on a t-ball team. I was one of the younger ones, and I didn't know anything. It was my first 
sport ever being played. I remember thinking like, I want to be better than these other five-year-olds, these other six-year-olds. And I remember they took me up to the next level, like my next year. And it was, I can tell by people's reaction, like it was a big deal. And I remember thinking like, I like this reaction. I want more of this. So I want to get better. So yeah, it, it was kind of like a moment. I've always been an overachiever, though. It kind of explains a lot now. Yeah. Like how, I mean, you and I are very similar on how we do things. And explains a lot, though, like, kind of like probably why we connected, but like uh, in the academy and then, you know, the way we both were, like, trying to, like, always trying to, like, be a little bit better, you know, and I think it's interesting. That's funny. So funny thing is, is I remember my mom, my mom, my mom and dad had me at, my mom had me at 16, 17. My dad, you know, my, my parents were teenagers. And I remember you know, they didn't, they didn't have a, a, a rule book on how to raise a kid at yeah. teenager. So I remember kindergarten through fifth grade, I was obsessed with school. My mom would be like, Hey, do you want to stay home today? Like we'll go to the mall together. And I'm like, no, I do not want Jenny Lee to get ahead of me in math facts. <laughs> Is that really a person? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still friends with her today. That's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a thing where I'm like, I didn't want her to get ahead of me. Because at the time you would do like timed math facts. Right. And I was like at the top. And I knew that if I missed that she would scoot ahead of me. Um, you're the oldest of your. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So your mom was 16. I think she ended up having me at 17. But I think she was pregnant with me at 16. That's, I never knew this. This is this is interesting. So yeah. how did that go? Like as far as was, was she living with your grandma? So my mom was living with my, my grandma and grandpa. Um, and my dad was living at his parents' house. And when they found out she was pregnant, they kicked her out. Well, the, my, my grandma did. Wow. She's very, very religious, um, hardcore Jehovah Witness. Uh, so my mom ended up moving in my dad. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. I mean, it sounded like it was a pretty traumatic, like, I couldn't imagine dealing, first of all, just being pregnant. Oh, yeah. Let alone being kicked out, you know. Have you sat down and, like, had this conversation with your mom? Like, really yeah. talked about it? Yeah. It'd be interesting to hear like, like that, just going through that, you know, that, that age, I know that there are people that go through that. It's just interesting because I can't imagine my kids having kids, Yeah, you know, like at whatever age when they get that. I mean, I'm 41 years old. I still can't even imagine raising a kid. I mean, now, maybe now, but even five years ago. Yeah. Let alone 16, 17 years old. So I give it to my mom and my dad. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense though, why you put so much energy into like, like doing all these things, doing better, getting better. It's what, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to take, I feel like it's almost like a taking care of your family situation. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew it back then. I don't think I knew that my parents were like young parents. I just remember thinking my parents look a lot younger than everybody else, but I'd never, it never kept clicked like, oh, you know, we're struggling or we're different. Right. So. Okay. So you went to college uh, on a full ride. Mm-hmm. Um, did you play all four years, five years? Four years. Four years. Yeah. And then you wanted to be a police officer. You decided on this little survey so thing. I'll be a police so, officer. So my junior year, my junior and my, my freshman and sophomore year wasn't really that good. I mean, I was a starter, but offensively, I I, I mean, I sucked. I, they I, they just kept me in there for defense, and then I stayed over summer both both summers to work with my conditioning coach just to get better. And then I ended up being like the cleanup hitter. I mean, I literally did a, a 180 my my junior and, and senior year to the point where going into my senior year, I was, uh, I got asked to try out for the Olympics. Really? Yeah. So I got to stay like in San Diego. They put you up in a, in like, there's an actual training facility in San Diego where all the Olympians 
tryout for the okay. national team. And basically, they just they put you in teams. I don't remember how many people were there. Maybe like 40. They split you up into teams. And they say, okay, this is your A, A team, B team, C team, D team. And all you do is just scrimmage against other other people, other top athletes, right? And I remember Stacey Newman. You don't know who she is, but she's a pretty big-time UCLA catcher. Okay. Her and I were on the same team. Really? Yeah, and Lisa Fernandez. Yeah, I know who that is, yeah. She's like the most well, well-renowned pitcher from UCLA. Really? Yeah. So how did you, did they just rate you as you're playing these Yeah, scrimmages? they basically they basically have scouts and they rate like every aspect, speed, uh, you know, accuracy, depending on what position, range, all of that. So you're playing, you're kind of playing against your teammates and the other team. Like you're competing against everybody. Correct, you're competing against everyone because they're only going to take, you know, maybe two of each position, maybe. And you went to the Olympics? No, because I, I, I got <laughs> through, I think it was one, one it was a four-day tryout. And I ended up going through one day. And at the time, I had an injury in college. It was a, I had a bleeding kidney. I, I, ble- I Yeah, it was weird. So I knew that I was going into it with a bleeding kidney. But it was there was no effects, physical effects. It was just, and this is going to be TMI, but I would urinate blood like the color of Coca-Cola oh my for gosh. a year. But at, like I said, there was no physical effects. It was just, you know. What? Yeah, it was weird. It wouldn't affect you at all physically. So I didn't think it, right? My trainer, everyone was trying to figure out what was going on with me in college. Like, at one point, they thought I was anorexic, so it was weird. They would weigh me in before before the game, and they would turn me around so I couldn't see my weight. And I kept asking, like, why are you guys doing that? And then eventually one of them was like, they, they think you might think that you're, like, fat. And I was like, oh, that is definitely not the case, you know. Okay, so... Uh, have you? I'm guessing you know now what the effects are. What was the effect of this bleeding kidney? So no. Um, so when I ended up going to the training camp in San Diego, it was intense. It was it, you were playing literally all day, all night, and it got to the point where I was like, it was bleeding more and more, and it was I was so tired, like I was exhausted. You know, there was like clotting, and I just told my parents. My parents were there, and I said, I'm like exhausted. I can't. I can't imagine doing three more days of this. And I had already known that I wanted to be a police officer. So I said, I need to fix this because I'm never going to pass a medical. Right. So I withdrew, I think, day two. We went to USC Hospital, and then they did, like, an exploratory surgery. And they never knew what it was. They just zapped some some veins in my kidney, and it stopped. Really? Yeah, it was weird. To this day, they think I got, like, into some, uh, like... Maybe I, I got into like a collision while I was playing sports okay. and it like ruptured ruptured it. So do you think if you would have had that fixed before this training and stuff, then that you or that year that you were dealing with it? Like no, would it have changed I wouldn't anything? have made it. It wouldn't have changed anything. No, because I went in as a catcher and I had only been catching literally that, that one year in college. I had never caught my whole life, but our our catcher had like four concussions. And there was a concussion. I feel like I want to take my daughter out of softball now. <laughs> it sounds it terrible. Just, no, this girl was accident prone. Okay, but yeah, no, there was no way I was going to make it as a catcher. Like, I had did not have the experience as a catcher. It, it just happened to be I had a really great season, and I just happened to be playing catcher. But no. And you have to try out on for this team as whatever position you were in. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. It's not like you can't be a different position. No. no. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never I didn't know any of this process. That's interesting how they do that. Yeah. Um, so you have how many? So you you go through this year and then you travel to the Olympics 
You finally get yourself fixed. Yeah, so I have the surgery at USC. They fix it. Um, and then I start coaching at uh, Mount San Antonio College in Walnut. Okay. It's a junior college. It's actually one of, I want to say it's the number one junior college in, in Southern California. That's cool. Yeah. You were coaching softball? Mm-hmm. All I right. was coaching softball. I think I coached there for five to six years. Loved it. Um, mentoring kids. Most of them were super talented. They just academically, you know, kind of... They were struggling academically to where they couldn't go to, to a Div- Division One school. Either they didn't okay. pass their SATs or they didn't have a high enough GPA to move on. So, so they end up there. They end up there. Um, so the goal for them was do your two years or do one year, get your grades up, and get exposed, and then get your finish out your two years at a D1 school. That's cool. Yeah. And did you, did you see that happen a lot where the people were actually going oh, yeah. to D1 schools? Oh, yeah. We were, we were I mean – there were some big schools that they ended up going to, like Washington, Oregon, um, Kentucky, like really big schools from a junior college. That's cool. And then I was also teaching. I was teaching at Mount Sac. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I think, what was this, the fire science stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so yes. it was a firefighting uh, police officer conditioning course. Okay. It was awesome because I was like, I, I not only get to teach it, I also get to participate in it because I'm too trying to be a police officer. So right. I was in great shape. Uh, but I was teaching people my own age or sometimes older than me, um, which sometimes was a struggle, but it was a good time. I know there's a couple of people, I don't remember who they were, but they said that they took your class. Yeah. So me and three people from our class oh, okay. got picked up at the same time. We were all in the same academy class. That's funny. Yeah. And you were teaching them. Yep. But then we became classmates. That's interesting. Only one remains today. Oh, Yeah. And that was, that was, so 2006 is when we started. Mm-hmm. And um, so you came out of teaching for five years after graduating college. Um, you started, like, so I was super young. I'm not say young. I was 21 when I started yeah. Academy. Um, I had zero life experience. And so I think that you going through these things and being a teacher and like having these interactions probably helped you out. And Maybe a little, but I didn't have that much life experience. I had, I had maybe experience with other people i think that's what i would say that i had over other people is i understood that i came from when i went to south carolina people were looking at me like i was from jupiter oh you're from california because south carolina is so completely different my teammates were you know from all over the world so different cultures it was it was odd because i had never dealt with that i'd never they're like you have an accent i have an accent you have an accent (laughs) um so different Different personalities and learning how to uh, get along with different personalities, different cultures, understanding different cultures, different learning modalities. I didn't know what a learning modality was probably until maybe five years ago. When they started started telling us as an FTO. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, but I think that's important though. You say like you come out of dealing with people from different backgrounds and you don't, now I think we just talked about like the idea of you recognizing how important it is to we realized how to deal with people who are coming from different areas, different backgrounds. But when we started, we just wanted to be crime fighters. Yeah. Really, go out there it and It didn't like, matter what culture you came from, you know, get on the hood of the car and don't talk. Yeah, we wanted we wanted people to take people to jail for whatever crime. Yeah. yeah. So weird how it's changed. I know. It's like thinking back on weird kids. I still remember the first like time we went out in a car, um, not like with the NFTO or anything, just like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you would just drive around by yourself. And I remember thinking like, 
We can do like we can go to any call. Like I was excited just to go to like a report. We don't call. have to ask to go to the restroom. Yeah. or to eat. Oh yeah, anything about those little things. Yeah. yeah. Can we get a? Can I get a snack, sir? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, so you're in your career. You you we start this academy together, and um, you kind of I feel like you when we graduated, like you took off pretty quickly. Like in the compared to other classmates, you took off. You got in a way that within the department, you were getting recognized pretty fast as being able to do different things. And I don't know like what caused that or if you felt that way. Yeah. I mean, I've heard other people say that and I guess I look back at it and it's like, yeah, I I did have some opportunities. I remember like within the first two, two years of being off probation, my partner and I, you know, we were special detailed to the directed enforcement team. Uh, I got to do a narco rotation for like six months and then I went to gangs for another six months and then I did some like redacting for homicide for a little bit. I have no idea why, um, but I was fortunate and I was happy. Uh, but at the same time, believe it or not, some of it was a curse because you got some very, very negative attention. Um, it, it is a fine line between like people like being happy for you and then a fine line of people like being like, why is this person getting this so-called special treatment? Special treatment that I didn't ask for. I'm just trying to establish my career just like everybody else. Right. But, um, yeah, I remember actually my partner and I, when we got assigned to debt, I mean, we we felt the hate. We felt the jealousy. We felt the how dare these girls, you know, get to be on the direct enforcement team. So we actually, we had a conversation. I remember on the phone saying, like, do you think it would be bad if we asked them, like, just to put us back on patrol? And to think of it now, it's like, how sad. No, yeah. You know what I mean? How sad that we're scared to have an opportunity and actually take advantage of the opportunity because of other people's perception of what we were. So I've been, I've, this has come up a few times in different conversations I've had, but this idea of, in general, like even like talk about recognizing different modalities and things as you get more time on, but recognizing how different it had to be as a female in law enforcement compared to like what I had to deal with. And like, yeah. and just so you said, like being, who are these girls? Like, it wasn't like, like, who are these young officers? It's like, who are these girls? Right. It's, like, it's like the female aspect comes up. Oh, all the time. And I, I even mentioned, like I was talking to another female at work and she was saying like, it's weird on days that she doesn't get hit on when she's in the field. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how weird is that to think like, I don't like other officers. I brought that up with another officer. Like I would never, I wouldn't even think that like, that's a thing. But like for, as a female, you have, you go through different things than we would go through as males in this profession. And then like you said, like, who are these girls, you know, going like who are, who like who in the jealousy? I'm sure you felt that, like you said, you felt that jealousy. Yeah. I mean, any female will tell you, you have to do triple the work to get as much recognition as a male would get. Or if you make the slightest mistake, that is going to be magnified times 10 because we're a female. But I also think there's these expectations. You're either like an overachieving female who gets everything or you're, you know, a, a female who gets everything because she's flirting with someone. Or, you mean gets everything means gets opportunities in the Correct. Okay. Yeah. I don't ever, I think it's it's changing now and I'm happy about it. But I, I've never heard someone say like, oh, that person, that female, she works her ass off. I think, like I said, it's changed now, but 10 years ago, no, it was like, oh, well, she knows someone or, you know, 
she's flirting or look how how pretty she is or look how good looking she is and i i just remember thinking like i never i never want to be in that category i don't want people to say you know i know someone or i'm you know utilizing the fact that i'm a female to get where i need to be i just want my work to speak for itself and i think that's how majority of females are in this department and they understand like they got to do a little a lot more than you guys do i know it sounds weird and you don't have to, you don't pull the punches with me like oh yeah and i think it's interesting though like i i'm gonna say it's like i think that i i think that there are men in the police department they can get away with honestly laziness you can get away with being lazy and still have opportunities and like you said, if you are a lazy, if you're lazy and you're a female, and it sounds like we're lazy. I mean, let's just say, I'll say, no, yeah, the I lazy, the, let's say I take the word lazy and talk about how about you do the bare minimum. Right. Okay. So you do the bare minimum and that shouldn't be thought about as lazy, but really if you compare to people who are working their ass off, mm-hmm. people compare them that way. So um, let's say everyone does the bare minimum, you versus a male in the department, that you're going to be seen as lazy versus the people like, oh, there's, he's like, I don't know. I feel like they might still get an opportunity versus you have to like step, like you said, step it up more to be that. Well, I think, you know what? There's maybe less than 10% of females on the department. So every female is going to stick out like a sore thumb. So if you say, Hey, officer Smith or officer Doe, whatever the female's name is, everyone knows who that person is because she sticks out. Right. Right. Whereas you, you bring up some male officer, they'd be like, Oh, like doesn't really stick out. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I've always thought about the opposite. It's weird because I thought the opposite, like being st- sticking out as a male officer, as a police officer. Now, a sergeant's a little easier because it's a lot less sergeants. Yeah. But like as far as sticking out as a police officer, there's a lot of competition in the in, with males. There's a lot of competition in going places, right? Because you have a lot of competition. But now in the opposite, you're saying if you make a mistake as a female, then you're like, oh, they're going to write you off and you have to basically prove yourself every day. So it's it's very interesting that, that I mean whole I'm sure you can think of it. You can think of every female on our department right now, and I guarantee you, someone has a story about every single one. You couldn't do that with a male officer. There's just too many of you guys. You guys all yeah. blend together, and I don't mean that in a negative. I doesn't you know, hurt my feelings. You're fine. Okay, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not scared to hurt your feelings, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. You hurt my feelings before. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> we spend forty hours a day or oh. a week in the car for how many years? I think yeah, we. Yeah, that's funny. And it's weird to think that that was. Like, I mean, in, in our career-wise, like, okay, so we're about 16 years on, and um, it was about three, two and a half, three years that we spent together every day. Yeah. And it doesn't, but it feels like it was like a blink of an eye. Totally. It's weird to think about that time. I still remember, there's so many things I remember about being in the car with you. Like, we go through scenarios yep. of like, hey, what if this guy runs from us, and then this happens, this happens, this happens. All right, we're going to do this, and like, going through these things. And then the guy wouldn't, like, run. And we're like, oh. No, I remember I remember our, our infamous thing. Okay, today we're going to get a foot pursuit. We're going to get into, uh, I don't know, I think it was like an OIS. We're going to, like, we would always say the same thing over and over. Like, the three most critical incidents, they're going to happen today. Yeah. And, and that's why and I, now, the guy, I'm like, I don't want anything. I don't want any of those to happen. No. I know. And, it, and the thing is, like, I, it wasn't like, let's be, let's be clear here. When we'd say like there would be an OIS, it was like, hey, a guy would do something to cause it. Like Correct. there'd be, a, he would point a gun at us or he'd shoot at us, and like we would, we would have to, we would be a doing- scenario that you see in a movie where yeah. you're saving someone's life because a, s- a suspect is about to cause harm to uh, an innocent bystander. Right, and I remember thinking like, okay, now I t- there are people who are there are hard charging officers out there, and I tell them like, listen, and there are guys, there are guys have been in scenarios now with a guy with a knife that's really close to them, and they don't shoot. 
and they could have. There are instances where I've watched body cam. I'm like, they could have gone to a shooting, um, and it would have been justified. They were lucky. They didn't. They didn't get into a shooting. Then they were lucky, um, and they were like beating themselves up about it. And I said, listen, as much as like, I understand that you could have you could have used deadly force in that scenario, and yeah, you would have been justified, and you you were lucky that he didn't stab you. Um, at right now where we're standing, you're safe. And I'm glad that you didn't get into a shooting. I'm like, yeah. you, cause it's so much headache after you get into OIS. And I'm like, but I'm with the idea of like young officers on, on the street driving around thinking like, okay, these scenarios we might get into today, not really thinking about the years of consequences mm-hmm. that that comes with. Yeah. You know, that's it's, yeah, it's, I remember those like little stories. I mean, we've both been in OISs and back then social media wasn't that big of a thing back then. But if you were to do that now, I mean, just think about if your shooting was blasted on social media with just a snippet of it oh, yeah. and not the whole the whole story, how that could affect your life, your family. That I mean, that alone, I'm like, I don't yeah. I don't want that for anybody. I know. I know it's everything is now and I know we're in a whole different direction in general with law enforcement, but the de escalation, which we've been doing for years anyway, but the de escalation stuff, it's like, okay, it's not just de-escalation on like verbal de-escalation. It's like, how can we get ourselves in a position where we do not have to, it doesn't go in the direction of deadly yeah. force. Um, I'm, there are going to be cases where you can't avoid it, obviously. Right. But it's like, yeah, we, just a headache. Like you said, like what's going to happen to your family or what's going to happen to you? And um, that's definitely a topic I want to get into some, someday with different people on this idea of like what happens to you emotionally yeah. after an OAS. Totally. I think that a lot of people would be interested in hearing that. Um, so you're, uh, let's go back a little bit. So you're, okay. so you're young, you're new, you and your partner, um, are getting these opportunities and you're talking about it kind of being a blessing and a curse. Like you are, I think now you're yeah, saying, we, did, we didn't want that attention. We just wanted to be like everybody else. These new, these new police officers that are, you know, molding their careers. But instead we were, we were in a, under a microscope. Like why are these, why are they here? Did you Who gave them that opportunity? Who do they know? Can I ask, was there something, was there, was there something that, was there something you did? Like, was there something that you're recognized for in, in, in any way? Like, I do what, remember a certain commander had pulled us aside and said, hey, you, you two have the highest stats. I don't want to, I don't, I don't know if it was the division or the city. You guys have the highest stats and we recognize it and we see it and we want to give you guys the opportunity to, you know, go to this detail for a little bit and, and learn some stuff. See, that's really cool. It was cool. But you know, now that I think of it, I also think that they were kind of trying to slow us down a little bit and and say, hey, you got to do things a little bit smarter. Because at the time, we were also getting a lot of complaints. I mean. A lot. You and I got a lot of complaints, too. Well, imagine two females that are like, you know, at the time, hard charging and just, you know, siding, taking people to jail, towing cars. I remember our sergeant pulled us aside and was like, I cannot... I can't deal with you guys. You guys are just getting, I'm having to answer way too many complaints for you guys. So I think looking back at it now, it was probably them trying to say like, we like the work you're doing, but slow down. You got to slow down. You got to be a little smarter. Okay. So that's interesting. So you're, which I mean, they've done that to different people within the department over time. Um, so like I would say, I looked at it as like, Oh, Hey, they're getting these opportunities. Right. And um, other people who had time on might be like, why are these, why are totally. they getting these opportunities? And then you're looking at it like, oh, cool, I get to try something new. Like, they're telling me I'm doing good. And and really, in their heads, they're like, these two are need to slow. That's what down. I think. No, but I'm saying, you never yeah, know, but it's very likely. And so you're you, now you look at it like, hey, I got, you did get some good opportunities that now I'm sure they molded you and where you, yeah. where you are now. But 
who knows what would have happened if you stuck out on the street and continue to get complaints and, yeah. you know, and cause issues for someone. I mean, or, I'm, I'm sure everyone, as soon as you get a certain amount of time on, you can reflect back to being like, gosh, like, <laughs> what was I doing? Or I, 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 I was people, really naive or I didn't really know the job yet. Yeah, yeah. Because people, you, you can ask people now, like, how many years on do you think you had when you actually understood the job? I mean, I thought at the time I understood the job right away, but now, but now, but now, looking at it, I wouldn't even hire myself at twenty one. Like, no, I wouldn't my, either. Looking at myself at twenty one, I'm like, I can't believe that they sent me out with a badge and a gun to go like give advice to people who had adult children. You know, it's like, and I was barely an adult. Yeah. So looking at it now, I'm like, dude, these young kids going into it, I'm like, I even ask these guys in my squad, like, how old are you? And when they're like less younger than twenty four, I'm always like, okay, I gotta like really pay attention to what mm-hmm. they're doing. It's not just like you have, like you talked about life experience, but you have a little more of a, like a stable head on your shoulders. Right. Um, yeah. You no. really truly do see the bigger picture. I would say probably like after like six, seven years Yeah. where you're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. I remember we went, we had a use of force and we thought we handled it perfectly fine. Yep. And I know exactly and, what you're talking yeah, about. And then that sergeant came up to us and was basically yelling at us right away. Like, Hey, like what the hell are you guys doing? Like you can you guys and we're like, Oh, we have five years on, why are you yelling at us? And we were kind of defensive about it. Looking back on it, I guarantee you I probably would have handled that call differently. <laughs> oh you yeah. Know? Like it's weird thinking about it. Like I mean, I'm I don't think we did anything wrong. I just think that uh we could have done it safer, I'm sure. And then there's things that we, we could have taken our time. Yeah. We could have asked for more resources. And stuff that now is would guarantee you ha- like legally yeah. you we have to do those things. But at the time we were like, Okay, this is how we hit protocol. Hey, the guy's not listening to us, let's handle business. And, um, you know, he's threatening people, he's hurting people. Let's, let's handle, let's handle the call. Yeah. We're, we can I, do it by ourselves. But yeah, now I'm like, oh yeah, we probably could have definitely taken our time on that. You know what's funny about that is I know exactly what you're talking about. And I remember I can take myself back like that and be like, yeah, I was, we were so pissed. Like yeah. how dare him? He's just grumpy. And you know, he doesn't, he didn't even ask us how we were, if we were injured. Now I deal with that with my sister. Really? She calls me with these scenarios and like, like, like we would call being pissed off right. about the way a sergeant reacted or, or what they told her. And I just, I, I am the, I'm a different person now. I see it from a totally different lens yeah. and majority 99% of the time I'm agreeing with the sergeant. Well, yeah. And then me and my, me and my sister just, we don't talk or we argue about <laughs> it. And I just tell her, you better start seeing this from a different lens quick. Yeah. It's interesting though. I've, it's it has to do, like you said. It's probably like a certain amount of time on, and you finally start like kind of recognizing like, all right, this needs to. We need to chill out, or yeah. like we need to like really take our time on different things. And then, especially like we said, like things are changing. Things change are changing so much faster right now that everybody, I think, is kind of like in a stunned mode. Like people don't are even scared to just do police work. Well, I think when like when we signed up, just as these newer ones, they signed up to fight crime, to make a difference, to take people to jail. Well. Policing's completely different now. Yeah. Um, there was something that happened uh, recently, and I was like, I forget exactly what, what caused this, like, dialogue. Oh, I know what it was. So th- it was like there was something that came up where officers didn't um, didn't handle a call the way they should have handled it. And I I had this, like, weird – I'm thinking that now the way that politics are that have changed the way policing is where we've already changed the way we go proactive. Like, we're not being as proactive as we used to be because right. people are scared of, A – they're more likely to get in trouble than they are um, to have the guy go to jail and, or stay in jail. So they're doing less police police work in general. But when calls for service are happening, 
uh, they're cutting corners. And I'm telling guys right now, like you cannot cut corners. If you cut corners, you're going to make you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And when you make mistakes, you're, if you're not doing your job to the fullest, it's going to cause you getting in trouble. So I understand that there's there's issues with like the booking process or the arrest process or the the court process. We can't control that. All you can control is doing your job, and you can't cut corners. And I think that I don't know how to like push that out as much as I can, but like people need to continue to do their job to the fullest. Even if it's like, okay, this is guy's not going to do any time in jail. It is what it is. Still right. do your job to the fullest. I think a lot uh, that has to do with that is is just straight up being transparent. When when I was a sergeant in the field, because right now I'm, I'm special detailed where I'm not like in front of a squad, but any any rumor I heard or somebody receiving discipline or talks of discipline, I made sure to tell my squad, hey, this is what I've heard. I don't know if it's true, but this is the reason why it's happening. Don't put yourself in that situation, whether it's, you know, not activating your body camera during a pursuit or whatever it is. I told them everything. So there was no guessing. Right. Right. If you got in trouble for something that you didn't do, you know, you would take it and say, I messed up. And I think that's interesting that you're saying, because a lot of times when we were, especially when we were starting, um, we never heard of people got in trouble. You hear like, hey, that guy got in trouble. Like, oh, yeah. But no one talked about it. Right. And then it was like, okay, maybe six months from now there was a watch report or something that happens. And someone's like, oh, what happened? And you're like, oh, that happened six months ago or whatever. And I think, like, I agree with you and I do the same thing where I'm like, hey, I hear, I heard this already. These are things that are happening. Like, obviously without Nate telling, talking about who it is. But these are things right. that you need to watch out for what you're doing because this is what's going to happen if you don't do it. Or what you, if you do do something out of, out of um, policy or whatever, it's right. going to happen. And like you said, being transparent is very important as a supervisor. I mean, I think that would have prevent, like if you see somebody get in trouble for something, right? Most people will be like, I'm not going to make that mistake because I've seen what's happened to that person or I see what the administration is doing or I see the repercussions that it's caused. Some people actually need to experience it for themselves. There's just some people that are like that. But for the majority of people, they can see it and they can say, okay, I saw what happened and I'm not going to do it. And if you can prevent 75% of people from making that mistake just by verbalizing it and communicating it, why not? Yeah. I mean, I understand, you know, confidentiality with certain cases. I, I do get that. But when you hear something like, you know, you hear from another division, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so and what's going on? You're like, no. I tell my squad, hey, make sure you do X, Y, and Z because you don't want to get in trouble for X, Y, and Z. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important. I think that's good that you're doing that. And I think I hope other sergeants are doing that too. I think that we need to be um we need to be more transparent. I and mean, police officers think of all they have to deal with from I mean, everything, the BWCs, the handling calls for service, dealing with citizens that don't like them, uh everything. The least we can do is give them a little heads up on, "Hey, just make sure that you're aware that this is a policy that is in effect and you need to follow it and if you don't th- these are what the repercussions are." Yeah. Well, and some things are, like we said, are changing so fast that, and the way that we're handling the, like there's certain things that we call like minor policy violations versus like things that are actually like against the law and things that you can't do. Right. Um, but like, Hey, some now the minor policy violations are getting handled differently in general. And I think people need to know like, Hey, it doesn't matter if it's minor or major. Like you yeah. need to, you need to know the policy and you need to follow it. Otherwise you're going to, it's going to, it's going to cause you problems. And we're in the Y generation. I know because my sister's one of them. And it's before, you know, I know you and I, we come from different, you know, we're born in different years, but 
we don't have the, well, you actually do have the why mentality. You have the why mentality. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. If somebody tells me don't do this, I'll be like, okay, I won't ask why. I'll just say, okay. All right. I've been like that my whole life. That's why I wanted to join the yeah, military. I've asked why several times. Yeah, you ask why all the time. And now you have to give them the why. Oh, no, I give, yeah. I you know what I mean? You have to give, it's no longer because I said, it's, let me explain to you why we have to do it this way and, you know, what has happened when we didn't do it this way. And I think some people um, don't like that aspect of this this new day and age. Like the people being that people who don't like telling someone, hey, just do this. Super, and then, supervisors. Yeah, just do it and then just follow um, directions because I told you to. Exactly. Yeah, and I think I think in general it's not just the police officers. Like we're doing we're doing why for everybody community Public. engagement everything is all it's why why are you doing what you're doing? And I want you to be transparent and yeah. regardless of what it is, this is how we're going to handle it. And this is why because if you don't explain why, they're going to keep coming back. Yeah, you know instead of just understand. So we don't understand. look at CLOs, community liaison officers, right? Do you remember what we used to do 10 years ago when, when there's people on the perimeter asking what's going on or Yeah, there's memes about it. Yeah. It was like this is like you wouldn't tell them anything. Now it makes so much sense. You just tell them what's going on, you alleviate that whole issue. Yeah, but I and I think that's different though in the academy. Like we're told in the academy like hey, you like you are in charge of the investigation. You don't want to compromise an investigation. Right. You want you're, there's like let's say a homicide or something's going on and you're now on a perimeter. You can't tell the you can't tell people certain things because it's going to you're telling a witness something that whatever it is. Right. right. And we would always have those like, I, I, that's how well, I that would was, feel. That like, was the way we justified it back then. But that's the way we were taught. Like, no, right. That's yeah. the way we were taught. And yeah. that's was the justification. But now if you think about it, all you say is, Hey, there's a homicide that happened right. here and we're, you know, this is a containment and it's a crime scene. So you can't enter. And it's going to be about three hours. Yeah. Just even, giving them even that, like that the simple little, answer. Even the people like with, like, let's say you arrest somebody and they're like freaking out. You arrested someone. And I'm like, um, he just committed, uh, whatever violence yeah. on someone. He had a gun or whatever it is. You tell them right away. And they're like, Oh, okay. And they walk away. Yeah. Versus like sitting there yelling at you for 20 But look minutes. how long it's taken us to, to, to realize that. Yeah. Because we're, we're stupid. <laughs> I don't know to say like, but be poli- I mean, we didn't know, yeah. you know, we didn't know. And now that we know it's like, you can't, it makes sense. It does make sense. Oh, this is going to be all over the place, but it's fine. Um, it's so, fine. so we're like, okay, so you, you bounced around, um, you work different divisions. Uh, you and I started working together after, I think it was a couple of years after you came back from yeah. the special details and stuff. And, um, it was, it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed working with one you. of my, yeah. One of my best like memories yeah. is during that time. We actually got, I mean, all transparency. We actually got totally couldn't work together. After yeah, some, we did. a couple of years. Because you asked why. Because I asked too many why. Yeah. 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 I asked why. No, I mean, but we're back. We're yeah. Back. It's fine. It was a learning experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can't take away those, like, those, that, like, primitive, like, like the first years as a police officer and then your partnerships. Like, I remember, like, working with you and working with different people um, really early on. And those were probably, like, my favorite time being a police officer. Yeah. And then it took me a while even like it was like navigating your career right mm-hmm. so how like for you when you were working together we obviously worked together for a couple of years and then you work with some of the some other people um what made you decide that you were gonna switch over to like training and then becoming becoming like uh at the academy rto and how did i you think decide? training's always been like my thing like even now i'm like i i like the training aspect of not even just our our job but in general like i like mentoring that's why I was, you know, I liked the coaching part of it. And then 
obviously as when I was in the academy, we had two female uh, RTOs. Right. And I knew I'm like I wanted I wanted to be that position. I want to do that. Took me nine years to do it, but you know I took Got all there. the proper classes and did what I needed to do to, to get there. And um, yeah, it's just like a thing where I enjoy seeing people move up and and get to the positions they want to get to because they've created a path for themselves and they've kind of navigated their way, you know, to get to where they want to be. So, yeah, I mean, training is, is kind of like what I like to do. I, another training we're doing is that we're going to do like a female biggest loser. You're going to? Yeah. For the department. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I've sent out a couple text messages, but I want to send out a citywide to just the females. And it, it's just a thing to keep us, you know, like a camaraderie thing and yeah. to work towards a goal. Every, who doesn't want to lose weight or, you know, shed a couple pounds? But you guys do a lot. I've seen you post some stuff. Like you do a lot of different like activities. You guys get together a lot. Like yeah. There's a good, a good core of females on the department that, you know, we'll do like workouts together on the weekend or we'll plan like a girl's trip or uh, run a race together. And then maybe this is something you don't want to bring up, but I'm not sure. Is, is do conversations happen in these girls groups that are like? Don't try to be part of our. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not sure you're part of the girls group. I'm I'm interested to know. Like, do you? Is there a to be honest with you? No, there's there's no there is no conversation. There's no conversation about like oh like we are treated differently. But I will say that there are conversations of like empowering one another. Okay. Like you know, hey, what where do you want to do? Like where do you want to go? Um, what's your next move? Those conversations happen, and I think it kind of is like um, like a domino effect of, of inspiring other people because you see somebody above you that's promoted or gone to a cool position that you know no female has ever been to before, right? And you're like, oh, like she can do it, I can do it, you know? And it just kind of opens the door for the next female. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, we do the same thing. No. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that's cool. And so, um, are people taking this? Biggest loser thing. Well, well, I feel like there's like a double edged sword here. I, uh, like, you know, it's funny. And these people, if they're listening, they'll know. I sent out a group text, but it's not like the full group text. I want to send out an official email. But um, two people were like, "Oh, sorry, like I actually am looking to gain weight," and we're like, "Oh, you little bitch." <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of side texting, like they would say that, or someone was like, "I don't think I can lose any more weight. It'll be unhealthy." <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> Oh, we'll leave it at that. Leave it yeah. there. That's funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so right now you're, um, so you, how, how many years on patrol did you do? I mean, you're technically in patrol right now, but yeah. you're, I know you're special detailed. Like truly in the field, I would say maybe a year, a year and a half. I spent a lot of time at the Department of Operations Center. As a sergeant? As a sergeant, no, yeah. As, as total though. Oh, total? Oh, uh, I would say over 10 years on patrol. More like probably 12 years on patrol. All right, and then now you're yeah you're now you're at the Department of Operations Center. Mm-hmm. How are you enjoying that? It's I mean, it you learn a lot there. You learn how the department functions and the um, the functions of every bureau and kind of like the way things actually run, which you can kind of understand it from a patrol perspective. But when you're actually in there and you see the way like the communication goes up goes down, you know, a lot of learning aspects to that. I think it's funny. I think I know. By not being, by only being in patrol and not seeing the other side of the department, we miss a lo- out on a lot of information. Like we don't know the processes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I was the same way. 
I mean, literally, when I, I remember when I went over there, someone, a female sergeant mentored me. She basically showed me how things were ran. And I mean, she was just running it like, like it was the back of her hand. I mean, and so now we're working on going to other departments to seeing how their department of operations runs because we're trying to pitch it to the executive team to have a 20, uh, uh, a permanent DOC. Okay. Which is everything going? Because I know you said you, you guys keep getting, going up and going down, going up and going down. Yeah, because down. You, you'd see like the DOCs close. Oh, it's reopened. It's closed. It's reopened. I think if there was like at least a minimal crew that can do messaging for whatever it is or any like big incident or multiple big incidents that happen, there's a, a need for the DOC. And this is interesting because it brings me the idea of like consistency. And I think that it's like you're saying, like you'll be put in the DOC or you're taken out, put in and took out all these different things. And that's for different, different officers. Like there are officers that go to the field and then they're back, brought back to something, some special assignment yeah. back and forth. And the idea of consistency or like you guys ask for something from patrol and then you don't ask for it. And then you ask for it and you don't ask for it. And it's like, Hey, why aren't you doing this? You're like, I don't even know what day of the week it is. You guys are asking for different things left and right. Versus having this consistent thing that we you set up because that goes into like the wear and tear on what's going on in the field. So it has like, to do with development. Everyone should know how to do it. Right. Or at least the primary functions of it. And we've actually talked about that. Like having like either a block in AOTC or biannual supervisor training of like how to run the Department of Operations Center in the event that you get put there. Right. Everyone should know at least the primary functions, what to do, uh, what you're in charge of. So we've, we've actually talked about that and, yeah, you know, that sounds fun. just like every, every detail, we should all kind of be a little well-rounded in, in no, yeah, I think some it, of the details. It would be interesting to see like people actually being moved in and around different places versus being permanently there for like 20 years. And then yeah. you, no one knows how to do their job and then they leave and the new guys, we just, lose all the experience, yeah, all the experience they figured out themselves. Um, so after all these years on patrol and we talked about kind of, or before we started recording, you're talking about, um, something you're experiencing personally, what you're going through out of just years on patrol. Yeah. So actually, as soon as I left being an RTO and I went back to the field, I had, I think I was like year 11, my back started giving me some real, real issues, issues that I never experienced for like excruciating pain down my, the, like my butt and my leg down to my calf, um, like nerve pain where I couldn't move. Um, so I, I went to the doctor and, you know, I had two herniated discs and it, it's just one of those injuries that flare up here and there. It's put me out, I think two times. One of them, the longest was six months. And that's when I, I had like a five millimeter bulge that was like hitting on some nerves that were causing severe sciatic pain. And I'm sure a ton of people have experienced this because it's primarily from sitting in a patrol vehicle for extended amounts of time. Not let, let alone all the pressure with it, the belt. And right. Everything. I've since got suspenders and it's, it's alleviated a oh, lot of that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I just went back recently to get another MRI to see how it's progressed or maybe gotten better. Cause I do do, I'm active with like rehabilitation, swimming, uh, stretching. I have a inversion table. I try and prevent the injuries from happening, but I know like the back injury, especially discs, it's, it's an injury that doesn't go away really. Right. So, yeah. So I recently went and the doctor said like, yeah, you, you probably need this surgery. It's like, I think it's called like a micro dissectomy. It's a pretty minor surgery, 
but they still they they're tapping into your back. They basically pull the fragment of the disc that's hitting on your nerves, and you're out for like six weeks. But it's it's not it's a one hour procedure. It's an outpatient surgery. So is it the, like laser or what is it? What is no, it's in? like micro. Like they stick a needle. You have one stitch. They and then they they basically put a needle in and then they put a bigger needle in and it just opens up. Okay, it's really cool. The technology is actually cool. And then they have this like little claw that pulls the part of the disc because they haven't you have you they have you over an X ray machine. So they're seeing it and they put dye in it. So they see you know till they have the disc that's completely removed from the area that is touched on the nerve. And then they zap it, and then you build up some scar tissue, and it's like a 90% that it doesn't come back unless you re-injure it. Okay, so 90% that the, the disc? The disc doesn't, doesn't herniate again. But it's possible it can? He said it's possible if you don't take your six weeks seriously. He, the six weeks you can walk and you can do, like, mild stuff, but nothing strenuous to where you're going to, like, uh, you know, do some, like, heavy lifting right. or constant bending i don't think you can be in the car for over 30 minutes because sitting is like really what puts the most pressure excuse me how do you feel about this surgery um i feel like i'm too young to have surgery like that but at the same time i know it's not going away and maybe this is an answer to the problem but at the same time i also am thinking about like i don't want to miss work there's a there's a real negative stigma about being injured on duty and taking an extended amount of time to fix your injuries. Right. Um, because the people that are legitimately injured, I, th- I think this is just my personal opinion. The people that are legitimately injured and, and like to go to work, they like what they do day in and day out. They actually don't want to be out of work on their injury, whether they're getting paid tax free or not, because they understand that it's affecting their team. They understand the negative uh, stigma it has at work where people think like, oh, you know, he's just faking it because there are people that are on the other end of that, that are constantly going out on injuries. I'm not saying they're fake. That's not what I'm insinuating, but I, I do think that there are people that know some people can work the system. And because of that, the people that are legitimately injured are scared to go out IOD because they don't want that negative stigma attached to them. Well, and then it's like staying at home. I know people, I've my team, they've been off on injuries and they're at home and they're like dying to come back. They're saying, I can't, I can't do this. Like I want to be, I want to be at work and they, they get a special assignment inside and then that's even worse than being at home. It's like, and it's like one negative thing after that. And then dealing with the workers comp. Yeah. All that stuff with the workers comp. Yeah. I mean, that's another, most of it is people have a routine, right? They like coming to work. Coming to work is like, a relief sometimes you have your friends there. Like I know right. that's how I feel like, Hey, I'm going to have coffee with Adam today. It's gonna be fun. Um, but then you're also thinking about like, what if I, you know, I, I am legitimately injured. My doctor says I'm legitimately injured. I know I'm injured, but I want to take a walk because my mental health is, is failing because I've been depressed inside. So I want to go take a walk, but now you're worried about like, Oh, well, it, is somebody watching me? Yeah. Like, am, I someone, to, am I allowed to take a walk? Right. What did the doctor say, can I look at my orders? Yeah. Yeah. So, I know someone said they had they had like a shoulder injury or a back injury. I'm not sure which one it was. And they went to went to go grocery shopping, and um, they're like, "Well, there's like a case of water. They needed water." And like, yeah, I get. I'm gonna go get someone to pick this case of water up because yeah. they didn't want to pick the case of water up, even though they probably could have done it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pick it up, and then someone go, "Oh, you're picking a case of water up. Uh, you clearly are fine, even though yeah. that might not be the case." But I have to get groceries for my family, so 
can someone else pick this case of water? Which yeah. is very interesting. Those little things you're thinking about all the time. Smallest things. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you're not. Are you nervous about the actual surgery? Um, well, I haven't decided if I'm going to get it uh, okay. already yet. I, I I want a couple different opinions. So just one opinion. That is just one opinion. Um, so I want to get two more opinions to see if if they say yeah, that's probably the best option for you because he made it seem like it's a no brainer. Like it's easy, just do it. You'll feel better. And I'm like, mm. a lot. A lot of things lately have put me questioning doctors. So I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. But yeah, definitely get a second opinion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you can do physical therapy, would you do that? He already, I've, I've already been doing physical therapy. Uh, and he said, like, physical therapy is not going to, this is not going to fix that. You don't physically, th- physical therapy, a disc back into its place. Okay. That's what he said. All right. But. So you're off twice already for this. I've been off twice for it. Yeah. And if they put you off for six weeks, you should be fine after that. Yeah, but then then I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do for six weeks? Like, I have dogs. I'm going to have to feed them. I'm going to have to walk them. Um, You know, I want to maintain some sort of level of fitness. Okay, I can walk. Yeah, how are you going to win the biggest loser if you go off for six weeks? Well, I was already thinking, I have to plan. I have to, if I'm going to do it, I have to do the biggest loser. It It would be beneficial for me to lose weight first. Before you go off. Yeah. But like I said, this is very preliminary. Wouldn't it be beneficial for you to gain weight first? And then lose it. And you Listen, have more I'm not worried have, about winning the money. <laughs> I really don't. It's just more of like I just want to feel healthier. And, and it's much easier to do something like this when you have a group of people that are kind of working towards the same goal. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. All right, so where are you at now Like with where you want to go? So you, I know you, like you're like you in the DOC. You're trying to get this. Oops, to sorry. Make, it's fine. You're trying to make this a permanent thing. Uh, which would be really, really, really cool. Like I think implementing something is really cool. Like try, starting something new. And I, it doesn't necessarily mean that like I, I'm wanting to do this for myself. I well, just yeah. think that there should be a permanent DOC for whoever's working there. Um, I'm only, I'm only there for X amount of time. And then obviously I'll go back to my normal patrol shift, but yeah, I think it'll be beneficial for anybody to be up there and running a 24 hour operation or seven days a week type yeah. of deal. Well, regardless of if you're there or not, it's still imp- implementing something new. I think right. in the department is kind of, I know everyone kind of, I've had I've had this discussion with other sergeants when they get something going and it's like I started this new project and now it's like implemented in the department. It's it's satisfying to say like you did something beneficial yeah. to help other people. So I think it's really cool. One of the major things that we really want to find is a staffing application. So that's really why we're going to these other departments to see like what type of staffing app do you have because it can't just be Use like the fire, um, fires out. <laughs> Apparently, they do. They have a good staffing app. The who? The fire department. Yeah, because I mean that's kind of the biggest thing is like knowing where people are at at all times, whether they're days off, uh, SWAT, um, IOD, or right. special detailed. It's kind of like uh, historic the way we, we do it. Yeah, we have a lot of paper paperwork. Right Correct. Now. We're, we're killing a lot of trees still. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, there should be better ways of doing stuff. Yeah, we, we could. We so should that be would be if we just got that. I think that would make a huge difference. Just being able to like, even if it's on your phone, because that's the way I envision it, like some app on your phone where like literally you check in and it says like, you know, Adam Sturgeon Patrol West Division, um, you know, working from this hour to this hour. Everyone's tracked. I don't know about Big this. brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to take away this idea of <laughs> you tracking us. That's funny. All right. So what's next? What are you envisioning next? What's next in your career? 
I mean, I got at least eight more years. So just learning, learning the position of sergeant, maybe I would like to go into investigations because I've, I've never been in the invest bureau. So learning that aspect of it, obviously I'm not going to be an investigator, but supervising an investigative team, learning those tools would be cool. I would like to do that. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Um, so touching back on like the being a female law enforcement, um, stuff that you've gone through, like have this stigma and then also like dealing with injuries. Is there anything in these, in in any aspect here that you would want to like, I don't know, give advice for a newer officer coming in on like how to, how to navigate that. Like clearly you guys didn't, you didn't decide when you were early on to not do those details. You didn't go back to patrol like unless until you were done with your details. So you made a decision together, like, Hey, we're going to stick it out and we'll keep working hard. So like, I don't know if that's something you still believe in. If something else you would give advice to different officers in these similar situations, especially in this sense, female officers. Well, like I said, I have a sister on the department. It's different because I cannot mentor her because I'm her big sister. So pretty much whatever I say, she's going to do the opposite, but let your work speak for itself. Period. Period. That's what I would say. Let your work speak for itself. You know, everything else put aside and just put your head down and work. And I think, uh, that's going to be the the most beneficial, uh, I don't know, uh, advice I can give somebody. Um, don't don't try and, um, I don't know what's the word I want to use, but don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to to be the the male officer that you went to the academy with and and try and go his path. Go your own path. Work hard because you will be looked upon differently. You will be looked on. Uh, with a bigger lens, bigger microscope. So, um, but it's also in the same aspect. If you are doing positive things, you're going to be looked upon through a bigger microscope as well. So it works both ways, right? You mean you get more, you'll, you'll notoriety, get more recognition. recognition. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. I wish there are certain things I wish even about myself that I would have done differently when I was earlier on. And obviously I didn't have to deal with the challenges you did. Um, but yeah, I think that for anyone that's starting off, like, yeah, I just, continue to work hard. I think that's important. I think messaging. it's all different types of personalities, right? Like there's perfectionists that like, it doesn't matter what someone says. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to go their own way. They're going to blaze their own path. Um, and then there's other people that are more passive and they kind of need a little more time to develop that confidence to step out of outside the box and do something different. Yeah, I agree. So what would you tell your younger self now? I would probably tell myself to listen more. I think, I think that's one thing I've learned. I think that like I was like, obviously you and I both know that I always thought I knew everything and maybe sometimes I still come across that way. And I think that I wish I would have listened more to like the advice or just like, or maybe yeah, the supervisors or different people in the field, like what they are saying, like what they're doing, what they're saying and why. Yeah. And I know it says like, why ask the why, but like really know like what causes them to do these things and where they got to where they are. Because I think that by just thinking I knew the answer all the time, clearly I didn't. And there are times where I made mistakes. And I think that I would have could have navigated those mistakes differently if I would have listened or taken more time to look at the look for the answer better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I say take more time and listen more. And I think that's I think that's important now for like even as a supervisor, like in your where you are with your with your people you work with, or even when you go back to the field. Is like when they're having something going on, like you're not going to know what's going on if you're not paying attention. Like if you're not listening to them, you're not going to know that something's going on. And one thing I've recognized for me at least is that I could, I feel like I'm picking up more 
on the emotional aspects of people. Like I can sense when something is maybe a little off. And if I'm wrong, I hope someone tells me, Hey, fucking you're off. Dude. You're, you're not, you definitely have no idea when something's wrong. But like, I feel like I'm picking that up more now because I'm trying to pay attention more to the, what they're like, what's going on with them versus like about me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I wanted to tell you was, I think what you're doing, I remember when I first heard about it, I was like, Oh, here goes Adam with his new, new thing that he's got going on. Like kind of like, poking fun at you, but not really. But the more that I've listened to your podcast, the more that I've seen the changes that you've implemented in your squad meetings, I think that takes a lot of guts, honestly, especially in this uh, line of um, this career, right? This law enforcement in general, super critical people. Um, Our way of coping is making fun, right? Oh, yeah. So the fact that you stepped outside of what is normal, stepped outside, I'm sure, of your comfort zone and, and was implementing things like, you know, asking people that are number based on like how they were feeling. I think that's huge. And to be honest with you, I, I envy the fact that you came up with that. And I, I too want to implement something like that because I, I do think it's important. I, and I am somebody who's very empathetic towards people. And I think no, not getting too much into the weeds of like, you know, their, their past and what's going on with them personally. But if you do know something about them personally, I think it helps you, better understand what they're going through and why they may be doing the things that they're doing. And I think a lot of people forget about the human side of just getting to know your officers or your detectives or whoever, because they're not going to be open to telling you about, you know, Oh, I'm having this issue at home. But maybe if they were comfortable with you, you would say like, Oh, well that makes sense why they're always late to work. Right. You know what I mean? And not to say that that's going to prevent you from giving them some sort of counseling on it, but you empathize like, oh, I understand. Maybe we can work something out to where we can adjust your schedule or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I, yeah, it's, it's vulnerability, like being vulnerable and doing it. And, and I can't take credit for the idea. I mean, the idea of like asking people their number or like where they're coming in at. Um, well, first of all, it's weird for me to take compliments. Cause I like in like, I was like feeling nervous when you've been saying that. It feels I know weird. I can tell you in your body language. Yeah, it feels weird. Like, I don't know why, but it feels weird. But so I I do I am taking a life coaching course, and one of the things we do is it's random like random uh, different um, check ins, and during these check ins, the people that coordinate it, um, one of the ladies, her name is Pam. She always does check ins in the beginning, which is starts with like where where are you coming to today, and or she'll ask a question or something. And I thought that was I just thought that was good because I was like oh wow she really cares about like it seems like yeah even if it, even if hypothetically she doesn't care it right. seems like she cares about what, what we really are dealing she with. she took the time right. to go through it and so then I'm like oh, I'm just gonna I'll just try it and like I thought I was fucking, I was nervous like the first, when I first did it I was nervous well I when I heard it I'm like oh I'm sure so many people were laughing at him like I'm not doing that well it's interesting because when they knew I was already taking the coaching stuff yeah though someone said like. Like, oh, is this one of your coaching thing? And I'm like, yeah. But I think because I was like, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And I was participating. And I like, if anyone, I want anyone and everyone to take this on. I don't, I don't, it's not my thing. I think it's, it should be all over the place, all over the, the country, the world, whatever. Like checking in with people in general, your personal life, your professional life. But um, yeah, there was like, is this part of your coaching thing? And I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, it is. But I think. Just owning it, though. Yeah. Owning it, I yeah. think, is where it's really was where, like, what are you going to say? Oh, you want to help people? Like, that's a weird yeah. thing. That, that, I mean, you can mo- you can make fun of the fact that I'm, like, it's different. Oh, like, oh, I don't want to do this. But it's even funny. The hardest personality in my squad room, 
um, still participated. And then I only participated. And I don't know if I told you the story. I might have told you the story already. But um, I was training a sergeant my couple months later. Mm-hmm. And you know how we normally do squad rooms where we yeah. just automatically say their, their unit number or whatever. And um, they went to do that. And the, the hardest person in the squad still goes, they go, what are you doing? You're messing this all up. I was at eight. Now you're just dropping me down. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it kind of like turned it around and I gave them a hard time. I'm like, Hey, you can't have it both ways. You can't hate it and love it. He's yeah. like, well, it's, it's, it's what we do now. So you gotta, and it was just so funny that that came, that that yeah. was the reaction. And I'm like, Oh, see, and I don't want it to be like, it's like some only one person can do it. Cause I think anyone, right. anyone can do it. It just, you have to want to do it. I mean, you can just do it in your own way. Like, yeah. It doesn't have to be a numbered thing. Hey, it's tell just, me something you know this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's one thing now. I, I don't even really do the numbers. Lately, I've not been doing the numbers. It's been a few months now um, than when I started it. But um, I don't always do the numbers. And now it's more of just like a conversation of like checking with certain people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it can evolve. And it's just like this. Like this is going to evolve. I hope that, you know, this reaches a bunch of people because I think that it's important like hearing your story. And I think that we could talk even like another time. We could talk more about just the idea of like like – Really, the female aspect. I think there's a lot more there that yeah. we barely I think it even would be, touched. It wouldn't behoove you to bring somebody like brand new and see what their experience is in a completely different yeah. law enforcement world right now. Yeah, that'd be right? interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think all of it. I think all of this is interesting. I think that we can all help each other by our stories, even if it's like one thing you can take away. And um, I'm gonna. I think we're gonna close it out here. Do you have anything else you want to add? No. You wanna you wanna plug anything? I know you're gonna come here and plug anything. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Female to plug biggest thing. loser coming soon. Fifty dollar <laughs> hey, buy. You should do it. Hey, you should do it like across. You know, see how many people you can do across other. Uh... No, because it's gonna do. They have to do the weigh-ins like at, at okay. the academy and stuff. Okay, got it. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming. This Thanks is for having me, Adam. Yeah. Hope you had a good time. I did. All right. So um, this is this was the episode with Danielle Quinones. I really appreciate her coming out. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram at AP underscore Sturgeon or at Let's Grab a Cup. Also, my website is SturgeonWellness.com or you can find the, any links to this podcast and the YouTube. We'll get this on YouTube. So sorry, you're going to oh be God. on camera at uh, Let's Grab a Cup.com. And um, yeah, if you have any questions about any of the coaching stuff, um, you can find my website there and uh, the links are there. All right. Have a good day. Let me get this little outro thing going. Talk to you soon.